It's after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Wednesday. It's your Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program, and today we broadcast live from the Efrat Medical Center in Efrat in the Gush here in Israel. It is the second day of our incredible journey to the Holy Land. I thank our friends at Nefesh Benefesh who included us on the incredible journey that uh, so many Olim took yesterday, uh, getting them to their brand-new home giving them the opportunity to put their roots down in the Holy Land. And today we are in Efrat, a place very dear to us and very familiar to many of our listeners. We're going to be speaking with our friends from the One Israel Fund who are building and securing the heartland of our nation here in Israel. We'll be speaking to our friends from Ateret Koanim. We had an amazing opportunity yesterday to visit the Yemenite village and see some of the latest projects that they have embarked on and that they're involved with. Uh, there's a lot of incredible things going on in this country, and we bring them to you here at JM in the AM uh, between 6 and 9 each and every weekday morning. I thank you for tuning in. It's day two of a two-day journey to Israel. Keep it right here at 91.1 FM, 90.1 FM in the Catskills. Rockland County at 91.9 in the FM dial and around the world in the web, jmtheam.org. Simchas Kalo, Simchas Kho 
Ich 
uh, Shimon Kramer. It's Asay. It's his brand new single here at JM in the AM. Before that, Achenu done by AKA Pella. You heard Vahashev. That was Aaron Razel. Amiran Dvir before that. Ohad brand new. And of course, Regesh opening things up with Modaani. It's day two of our two day journey to the Holy Land. Today we're in the Afrat Medical Center in a training um, in, in a training center named for David Applebaum of blessed memory and uh, many of our listeners certainly remember him. And uh, those of you who are young listeners, ask your parents about David Applebaum and the uh, terrible attack by the enemy that claimed his life and the life of his daughter who was scheduled to be married the following day. Uh, we are concentrating today on the uh, One Israel Fund and the incredible work that they do and Atarit uh, Kohanim, the amazing work that they do. And uh, joining us uh, as a representative of the One Israel Fund and somebody who could speak about uh, uh, what is going on in Yudan Shomron, uh, the security rescue spokesperson, and I'm told Jewish wife as well, um, from the from the Shamron. It's Yehudit Tayar. Yehudit, welcome to JM in the AM. To welcome home. I appreciate that. Uh, yes, thank you. <laughs> uh, Yehudit, it, it, you, oh, give us some background as to what is going on in your life specifically and how it relates to what's happening in Judea and Samaria. How did you, in fact, end up becoming a resident of Beit Horon? Well, we um, were looking for one of the communities to reestablish because, you know, our history is in these areas and uh, we reestablished our community. And what we liked more than anything was that it's um, religiously observant, but it's a mixed community. And the, the, the symbol of our community is the four species from uh, the Chag. Because you can't make the bracha without any one of them. You have to have all of them, but you have to have them together. Right. And uh, when we first moved up there, um, people thought we were crazy. You know, no water, no electricity, living in teeny little caravans. Uh, but there are in the path of the forefathers. And we've been there now for 35 years, Baruch Hashem. And we have three generations there now, uh, children also and grandchildren. And... It's a blessing. At some point, you joined the Israeli army, correct? Um, I joined the Israeli army because um, of two wonderful parents that understood that I didn't want to wait till I was old enough because I finished school early. And they signed two signatures for me to volunteer and to, for me to be a combat soldier. Right. And since then, what roles have you played in the safety and security of the region? Well, I had the um, enormous privilege of uh, establishing all of the immediate response teams and all of the emergency rescue services throughout Judea, Samaria, Gaza, and the Jordan Valley. Wow, that's that's quite a task, to say the least. Yeah, I wasn't alone. Uh, Brigadier General Yossi Kohler was along with us, and um, it was fighting against the waves that were coming. No, it's a new era. We're having Oslo. There's going to be peace. And until we proved the importance of our immediate response teams that were there first, first touch in any uh, emergency, whether it's on the road or inside of the community, working along with the army. And uh, Baruch Hashem, we do what we can. Uh, you're hitting a very interesting point and an important one for this audience because the One Israel Fund has always encouraged people around the world to support security efforts. I mean, what can be more important than securing Jewish, fam- Jewish families in areas like the ones you're describing um, it, sometimes these these episodes the you know what's happening on a daily basis are out of the headlines and we're not quite sure what's going on uh, I, I assume you could tell this audience that now more than ever there are plenty of security needs in those communities 
Unfortunately, the media has its own agenda. And um, unfortunately, periodically I have to, when I'm allowed that I have clearance to report, I report also um, about incidents. But unfortunately, it's not only in our area, it's all over Israel. And um, it's not only on the roads, it's not only in uh, Judea and Samaria, all over. And um, the areas that we live in are not dangerous. Those who hate us are dangerous, and that's important to remember. Yeah, no question about that. Um, what do you find most challenging about living in the area? I know that the the enemy or those who hate <laughs> those who are living there is a major problem. Are there other challenges that you encounter on a daily basis? Um I'm not a politician, thank God. I'm a very simple, unimportant person um, trying to do an important job. But sometimes, you know, bureaucracy is very um, frustrating. But um, with determination and, how do we say, the eternal nation is not afraid of a long way, that's what we have to do. Well, it sounds like you're somewhat frustrated then how the government and and others in, you know, in leadership positions either treat or mistreat those who are in areas like yours? It's not only the residents or those who are going through our areas, it's the needs of these areas. Whether we're talking about bulletproofing um, vehicles, whether we're talking about rescue um, services, whether we're talking about the equipment for the immediate response teams, um, cameras on the roads to protect those who are standing there after the horrible attacks that we've seen in the last few years of um, even using a vehicle as a, a weapon. Uh, but uh, again, you know, we continue and we're very determined and um, I've been called stubborn many times, but it's not stubbornness, it's determination. Yehudi Tayar is with us. Um, uh, we're in the Efrat Medical Center here on a Wednesday morning. Uh, you, you said something as you walked in. You said that with the, because we talked about you being early for this broadcast, and you said with the roads the way they are, better to be early and save some extra time. And that means, for, for those of us who are used to New York and New Jersey and getting around without much problem outside of traffic, what did you mean by that? Well, um, most people don't know, unless they've been here, that we have to go through roadblocks that uh, with security checks. Uh, periodically, there's a holdup because of uh, traffic jams, thank God, that a lot of people are on the roads. Sometimes, unfortunately, it's other things like accidents, and as an uh, emergency medic, uh, I could get hold up, you know, with something taking care of an emergency. Or as a security officer, I could get held up with a security issue. So it's always better to take a little extra time. Always something, huh? Uh, we mentioned the One Israel Fund and the work that they do, and one of the things that I, I think is well known to the people listening now is that they've played a major role in, in the security of the area. You described the cameras before and uh, securing uh, families and children, making sure that schools and different institutions have what they need. Could you describe to this audience what the Israel Fund has done to help in this uh, circumstance? You know, as we say, who we have, um, you know, hold on to the faith, in the very, very beginning, one Israel Fund was with us when nobody else was. Um, to help us establish the teams um, for immediate response, to help us uh, bring in ambulances, the equipment that is needed for either emergency medical or security. Mamash, hand in hand, they're with us. And um, it, it's so moving and so important, and we so appreciate it. A lot of people from the United States have been helpful in that area. Absolutely. Um, what is your community like now? You described it was like to move there. How about today? What's it like? 
today, thank God, um, we have about 400 families. We have more than three generations there. We have a um, regional school that children from areas near there come, also a grammar school. Would we have heard of any of the cities around it? Givat Sa'ev. Givon, they come. It's um, not really cities, it's communities. Um, But uh, the spirit is the most incredible thing that periodically the um, representative of Bnei Akiva asks me to speak to the high school students on an Arab Shabbat about what I'm doing, what the situation is, and young people from families that are not religiously observant come to. And the mutual responsibility that we have in our communities, not only in ours, but in all of them, the volunteering, whether it's, God forbid, a tragedy or please God, a simcha, you know, even preparing food for the family if there's a, a, a new baby born or there's going to be a bat mitzvah or bar mitzvah or a wedding. It's it's so beautiful. And that's what being Jewish is about. Is your community still today diverse and rooted in uh, our tradition? Absolutely. It has stayed uh, along that path. Absolutely. That is, uh, anybody who comes into the community has to bind with uh, that direction. Um, the only reason for having a car or a vehicle inside of the community is if I have to go with the ambulance or an emergency vehicle for the security. Um, everybody keeps to the tradition, and it's it's really beautiful to see. Wow. Yehudi Tayar, um, she is uh, from the uh, community of Beit Haron in the Shomron, correct? Yes. And has been there for 35 years? 35 years. Pretty amazing. What an honor to meet you. Where are you from originally? I was born in Chicago, but I grew up in Kibbutz Saad um, in the Negev. Wow. So any American kid who's listening, there's space for them here, both in the Army and, of course, Always. in the general community. Always. An honor to meet you. I appreciate you being here today. We are here at the Efrat Medical Center in Efrat, uh, Israel, and uh, the One Israel Fund is bringing us uh, some really wonderful guests today. I remind you that... Um, they are available at 516-239-9202. You can go to oneisraelfund.org, oneisraelfund.org, and they constantly, both security and otherwise, have plenty of projects for us to get involved with. The legendary Daniel Luria joins us from Atarat Karnim coming up next. Keep it right here at JM in the AM. Smile and dry the tears that shriek your weary face Your wounded soul will be consoled by the wonders of this place Laugh away the fears, there's no need to be afraid This storm will pass, see sunlight splash On these stones and on your face Sorrow after these long nights And there'll come a time to leave the sadness behind We'll rejoice again after this black night passes A new light will dawn and you'll see Look how we shine, follow the signs Nachamu Ahami Nachamu Ahami Be strong, be true, be brave You gotta keep your head up high You're young and you'll be smiling soon There's no 
JM in the AM. It's Arye Kunstler with Nachamu here on a Wednesday morning. It's a two-day journey to Israel. I want to take this opportunity to thank some of the people who made this trip possible. A big thank you to our friends in Nefesh Nefesh. We arrived with them here on a Tuesday. I hope you had an opportunity to hear yesterday's show. Big thank you to Travel Cell. Uh, many people who travel from the United States to Israel and many other countries use Travel Cell to stay in touch back home, as do we. Go to TravelCell.com, TravelCell.com, 877-CELL-PHONE, 877-CELL-PHONE. We'll thank Josh Melman for all of his help. Him and his staff have been amazing. The Inbal Hotel had an opportunity to see Alex Herman this morning. As uh, many of you know, he takes great care of us. When we're based in Jerusalem, we greatly appreciate it. And um, that is uh, the story at the Inbal Hotel. Well, uh, Daniel Luria is here. He is um, the executive director of Ateret Kohanim. As you know, we're really bouncing uh, back and forth today between the uh, activities in Yesha and the activities in Yerushalayim. And yesterday we had an unbelievable opportunity to visit a part of Yerushalayim that most people do not get to. And you'll never believe how close it is to parts of Yerushalayim that you always get to. Daniel Luria, Executive Director of Atarit Kwanim, welcome to JM in the AM. Pleasure being here, Bokatov. Bokatov. Uh, yesterday was pretty amazing. What did you say? Um, for me, I more or less live in the old Yemenite village, but uh, I'm glad that I had the opportunity to take uh, you guys into the old Yemenite village of Shiloach that the Arab world calls, uh, I believe, Silwan. Uh, but it's important for the world to understand that uh, you know there was a Jewish neighborhood at the outskirts of the Temple Mount uh, and the slopes of the Mount of Olives. And thank God today we have families, uh, students, and children that have gone back to this area. This is, uh, look, Yemenite village, and I said this to you many times yesterday, Every time I heard the name, and it's been explained to me many, many times, what it is, where it is, how it operates, etc., I, I never really envisioned what I saw yesterday. Now I have a clear picture of it, and I recommend our listeners at some point get a clear picture by visiting on the spot. But, but another thing that was, that was made clear to me yesterday, uh, Atarat Kohanim, when it was first introduced to us, I don't know, 20, 25 years ago, does that make sense in that area? Probably, and we've been around for 36 years, okay. but you probably would so, have been... Right, uh, it was introduced to us correct. back then. I, th- I think even way before I was married, probably closer to 30 years ago. And we watched as one person and then one family and then, of course, a yeshiva and a community developed in the Muslim quarter, the old, the old Jewish quarter. The old Jewish quarter. quarter what it. we now refer to as the British referred to the Muslim quarter Correct. in the old city of Jerusalem. At some point, maybe... You know, because we don't realize as things go step by step how immense and how gigantic the whole picture is getting. At some point, we reached a total of how many people, how many Jewish people living in the old Jewish quarter. Well, today there's a thousand residents living there today. It's a huge success. I mean, people don't necessarily know about it, but the reality is that these important Jewish facts on the ground, there are four yeshivot, hundreds of students, hundreds of children, and 70, 80 families living in the old Jewish quarter. It's true it's not like it was 150 years ago when there was a Jewish majority with 21 synagogues and six uh, yeshivot. But slowly but surely, huge success. The other huge success, of course, as you know, as you've seen and you've been there before, is Ma'ale Azitim. We call that the jewel of the crown of the Atzeret Konim. 110 families living on Harazetim. You don't have to get to Harazetim, just as I say to people horizontally. <laughs> uh, one can actually, there are people jumping and living and playing on Harazetim today in Kidmatzion. And of course, uh, although there is a lot of tension there, also today, thank God, in the Yemenite village right. of Shiloh, just outside the opposite of Ir David. Right, so I want to make a couple of points. Yeah. The first is that a lot of people, a lot of people in this audience for many decades at this point, really were instrumental 
in helping the old Jewish quarter, the Muslim quarter, be re- revived with a Jewish presence. And, and people should sit back uh, for a moment and take great pride in that. Many people have visited, many people have contributed, many people have been part of this amazing partnership with your work here to make sure that happened. Then your efforts, as you just mentioned, started to expand the drop into other areas of Yerushalayim, right next to the old city. And uh, if... If we are standing together on the southern end of Harabayat, many people are familiar, right below us would be Silwan, what the Arabs refer to as Silwan. We refer to it as Ir David. A drop to the left would be Malayazetim, correct? Or am I wrong? Well, no. Then there's the Valley, the, the King's Garden, okay. where the Arabs are built illegally in a national park that's been there since King Solomon planted every conceivable tree there. And on the other side of that, east a of... A drop more east. Right. East, the other side of the city of David, was the old Yemenite village before there was a single Arab living there. Right. We have so, to, so essentially, Atarat Konim has taken that project upon themselves. Correct. To, to establish the facts on the ground, to bring Jewish families there to live. Right. And based on what we saw yesterday, and we we're going to speak to some of the representatives of those families. Right. It is not the ideal living condition for many, many of those It's people. not Melbourne. It's not New York. Um, it's not easy going it's in It's not even the Muslim quarter. And the old Jewish quarter, correct. Right, correct. The, the families who live there are exceptionally ideological. They're driven with one thing. They see themselves as messengers for the Jewish people. I mean, who wouldn't want to look over and see where King David walked, to see the Temple Mount, to be on the slopes of the Mount of Olives, and also to be in a village that the Yemenite Jews came and built a thriving community that was unfortunately decimated. So we've basically gone back there with the help of people from all over the world. Um, American friends of Atarat Kuanim are not involved, obviously, in the actual investments. Uh, that's people around the world who just want to own a piece of the rock. Uh, our American friends and donors and supporters uh, and centered around American friends of Atarat Kuanim, they help with the children's projects, the, ch- the uh, adoptive family projects, the yeshivot, the centers of Jewish learning. Um, and without that, we wouldn't be where we were today. And thank God that there are many Jews around the world who don't just sing or pray Shana Habab Yerushalayim, they realize there are real things that can be done from the acquisitions, which is a, an idealistic investment, or to actually take on literally a security project, a children's project, adopt a family project. We need Am Yisrael involved if we are going to have, which we are holding on to every centimeter of Jerusalem. Daniel Luria is here, and as I said, we'll speak to some of those families later, some of the perspective of what life is like from their end we'll get. But some of the things that you could help us with is you mentioned that uh, you know different uh, different items for for children and and infrastructure that's necessary. Uh, these kids, uh, again, sometimes hard to believe or difficult to describe, but because of the living situation, because of where they are and who they're surrounded by, they often are never outside of their home, right? Never outside of their apartment, uh, nowhere outdoors to play. Uh, you're trying to solve that problem as best as possible. Uh, travel in and out to get them where ne- they need to get to is very, very difficult. There's a security force that's literally assigned to any Jewish family that's in the area. All these things make life very difficult. What you've done, and you've encouraged our listeners and the people who want to help out to do, is build, wherever possible, some outdoor playgrounds, even if it's necessary to be on the roof, uh, some security systems so that... People are, you know, safe in the area to enhance what's happening with the security forces. And there are other things as well that you recommend for people to help out with. Well, the Yemenite village is an area separate from everything else that we're associated with. Um, because of the physical attacks on the families there, just since the beginning of the year till the 1st of June, 858 physical attacks from stones, Molotov cocktails on the vehicle or the buildings. So the situation there is different from anywhere else. And therefore, uh, there are 
different things that we have to do. For example, even on a rooftop, if we build a playground, we have to have a steel pergola. So there's one particular family, and hopefully Shira Tanami will speak soon, yeah, uh, where we actually are trying to build a steel mesh pergola, yeah. which will be used by the children who come to the recently redeemed synagogue that we just got back a few months ago, which is literally in the news at the moment. We were in it, and it was amazing. Yes, it's the uh, after 77 years, the sweet sounds of uh, tefillot and prayers can be once again heard in this old synagogue. Uh, the only play area that we have for all the children is in a relatively new building called the House of Frumkin, which we're trying to do. We already have half the funds. That's $34,000, for example. Half it already we have, which will be the only area outdoors for 41 children to play in. Of course, there are security cameras and around there. We have a special fence for them. It's not simple, but thank God, like I said, we have... Um, people at the forefront who are ready to be those pioneers that we need, both the children who get used to it. And it's a logistical nightmare. You mentioned going in and out in the mornings. We're talking about 13 families, yeshiva boys, going in and out with all their children in a small security bulletproof jeep going in and out in the morning. It's not simple. And if you need to prepare for fruit and vegetables and dinner, the families are coordinated between one and the other. It's not simple. Uh, but uh, that's part of holding on to Jerusalem today. In the Yemenite village. The irony, as you pointed out many times yesterday when we were touring the Yemenite village area, is that all this is happening very, very close to where life is relatively normal and much easier for Jews, obviously, in the city of Jerusalem. Well, it's a, it's a two-minute drive, basically, from the uh, from the Kotel. Right. You're right next to the old city. You're maybe a five-minute drive away from literally the middle of the town in Mamilla, and yet to think that there is this pocket of hatred um, on one hand and people who want to live quietly and peacefully and who are ideological is just phenomenal to, to appreciate. Uh, but eventually the Arabs and some of them already do understand that life is good under the Jews. No uh, compare that under Hamas or the PA, life is good under Jewish sovereignty. Uh, there are still a number of terror cells that we have to deal with. Uh, but the more Jews that live there, the more families, the more yeshiva students, the more children, the Arabs understand not just strength, but strength of conviction. Shani Haikind is joining us. We're speaking with Daniel Luria. Shani Haikind is, of course, Executive Director of the American Friends of Atarat Koanim, Jerusalem Chai. Shani, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate that. It's great to hear your voice now. I'm from Israel. I wish I was actually with you there rather than here in Brooklyn. But uh, I had a fantastic time, and before anything else, uh, Nachum, I want to say that I'm very, very sorry that you lost your mother. You should only have simchas with Stacy in the future with your families. And what a legacy your mother left. Your parents raised quite an Ohad Yisrael. And, you know, we, we're all very, very proud of you. And kolakavot for this amazing trip that you made now, Nachum. Uh, kolakavot, thank you so much for, for your words, and it's much appreciated. We know you were here recently. Every time you're here, it seems there's either a new project you're working on or something that's been developing over the previous few months. How is this trip, and what did you discover about the work of Atarit Kohanim? Well, I had the pleasure of being with, with Dove, whom you know quite well, and my daughter and son-in-law and six grandchildren, and we had an amazing time. You know, it's great to go to extreme parks up north, and it's great to do the traditional fun things that people do in Israel. And um, But I have to tell you that my time with Daniel and with Mati Don, first in Kidmat Zion, uh two Sundays ago, uh, three Sundays ago, and this last Sunday, being with Daniel and walking the streets of what the world calls Silwan and we call our Yerushalayim 
was the highlight of my trip to Israel. They say in Hebron, Nachum, that you can't go to Hebron, you can't go to Israel without visiting your grandparents in Hebron. Well, Nachum, you cannot go to Israel without visiting your brothers and sisters living in the heart of Yerushalayim, and that includes Yemenite village, and where our absolutely tremendous families live with such mysterious nefesh. What new projects did I find out about? Oh, my gosh. I mean, Daniel's always writing me about projects. <laughs> but to walk in the streets, to walk in the streets, to to meet a Shira Tanami who was once at our dinner. She was an Asia Skyla Wardy at our dinner. And when I was with Daniel, I knocked on her door. I said, Shira, I'm it. And Shira was there with some of the kids and her 10-year-old daughter, Amuna. Shira lives in Beit Devash by herself with her husband, Boaz, down the block from Yemenite Village and our other homes. And Shira's 10-year-old daughter, Amuna, brings out the pictures of when Shira was a speaker at our dinner, and I introduced her, and I said, ladies and gentlemen, how do you introduce, what do you think Hashem thinks about a woman like Shira Tanami, who lives surrounded by hateful Arabs, and I'm not saying that all Arabs are hateful, one can never, ever generalize, but she's not living in a, you know, it, it, it's not Great Necrobara Park, this is a very difficult neck of the woods. And I said, how do you think Shira feels about, uh, how, how, how do you think Hashem feels about a mother and a wife like Shira Tanami, who lives surrounded by Arabs, who try to intimidate every which way they can, throwing Molotov cocktails and boulders. We're not talking rocks, pebbles, we're talking stones, boulders, in an effort not only chase, to chase out Shira and, and Boaz and their little, you know, Kindleh, but all, all the families in Yemenite village. And Shira got up to show, she got up to speak, and she showed fragments of Molotov cocktails that were thrown at their home. So what do you say about people like this, Nahum? You were just there, and you're going to have Shira, Shira on. How do you think Hashem feels about these people, Nahum? Well, these are real Jewish heroes, of course, and I owe you a thanks because you've been telling me for years that seeing it, seeing it with my own eyes would certainly uh, enhance my entire knowledge of what's going on in the Yemenite village in that area of Yerushalayim. I saw it yesterday. It's amazing. Uh, and, what, and the sacrifice that they're making for the future of the Jewish people is absolutely amazing. Uh, we want everybody, Shani, to, uh, to get involved. I mean, we, I've been speaking with you on the air about this for a couple of decades, about people getting involved in projects like you just described and helping families who are making this ultimate sacrifice with their little kids for the future of the Jewish people and the future of Jerusalem. I guess the easiest way is to just go to the Jerusalem High website and to start learning more and more about what you're doing. That's correct. Um, in fact, we have footage on our website, you know, uh, Jerusalem High, C-H-A-I dot O-R-G. You can meet some of our families living in the heart of the so-called from quarter and Christian quarters in Kidmat Zion and in Yemenite village. These families, when I was there, let me quickly tell you, Nachum, I was there with Dov on, on the first night of Hanukkah, Matidan. Uh, took Dove and me to Yemenite village uh, for a Masipa Hanukkah party that the women of, of the village, the women of Yemenite village, had prepared for the Jerusalem chief of police in an effort to, in, to um, try to make them understand how they have to enhance security for our families. But there is just so much that the police can do. If we feel like these are our brothers and sisters, and you have to 
to feel that way. You have to feel that they are there not just because it's their Jerusalem, but because it's our Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the heart and soul of the Jewish people. And what these people are doing by making their presence known, by staking out their claim, it's our Jerusalem. And we have to help them. And that means going on tour, meeting with them, talking with them. They cannot feel isolated, Nachum. They have to feel like the Jews of America are their brothers and sisters. And what wouldn't you do for a brother and a sister? So, number one, people have to go on tour, and anybody planning a trip to Israel the rest of the summer, Sukkot, the Pesach, Hanukkah, spring, you know, uh, school intercession when the yeshivas have a break, you must, you can call me in my office at 212-216-9270 anytime. Go to our website, make a reservation for a tour, and see what these people are doing. Be our partners. Invest in the security of the future of our people. Help us. Everything adds up. We need medical, we need emergency equipment, cameras, lighting. The city cannot do everything. Our brothers and sisters need our help. Our children have to be able to play safely, and we need to finish playgrounds for them. Beit Ovadja, Beit Rumkin. I mean, these are... This is a way to show Hashem that we are Am Echad, Belev Echad. Shani Tadarabah, Kolakavod, thank you so much. I hope people take your recommendation and, in fact, do visit the Yemenite village and this amazing projects of Atarat Kohanim. Thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure, Nachum. Enjoy the rest of your trip, and thank you for being such a terrific Ohad Yisrael and being there for the Jewish people. I appreciate that very much. Daniel Luria is the executive director here of Atarat Kohanim. Yesterday was an amazing day. I know that uh, you must be very busy on Cholmoyd Sukkot, right? <laughs> Before Sukkot, during Sukkot, after Sukkot. Uh, but that's got to be one of the busiest weeks of the year, I would guess. <laughs> for Yerushalayim, it makes no difference. Uh, Yerushalayim comes first even before the family in this particular point. Uh, if there are many people who want to visit, uh, please be in touch, as Shani said, Correct. via the internet site. And for those who want to be involved in any of the uh, ideological investments, uh, that's directly with the Israel office. They can email me directly on dljerusalem, as in Daniel Luria, dljerusalem at gmail.com. If you want to hear more about the uh, the projects, uh, there's no shortage of people that can help you. Uh, I hope your listeners uh, don't just listen. We need people to act. So someone should uh, make a phone call, send an email, take on a project, and then become a partner with whatever we're doing. Call like a vote to you, and thank so you for joining us here today. So Daniel Lurie, everybody. Amazing couple of days with him. This is JM in the AM. More coming up, everybody. Shimura <laughs> Botai Yeah, 
up the hour. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 in the FM dial. Around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. Big thank you to those tuned in around the world on the NSN Nahum Siegel Network app. A lot of great comments on the app yesterday during our show from Ben Gurion. Uh, so thank you to everybody for that. Big thank you to our friends at Travel Cell, TravelCell.com and 877-CELL phone for keeping us connected back to the U.S. In fact, our on-air phone system is their responsibility today. Yes, we can actually say they've sponsored our on-air phone system. Thank you, Josh Melman and Travel Cell. And a big thank you to all of our help, including all of the people who are helping us, including PC Guy here and Stan in the studio and um, uh, doing all the engineering. And, and of course, our uh, producer, Miriam L. Wallach, producing yet another great radio show. Josh Haston is here. I say it like that because Josh is an old friend and an old radio man. And somebody who we've, we've had fun with on the air uh, at different times over the last uh, few years. Josh, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thanks so much, Nachum Siegel. It is great to talk to you here live, in person, in Efrat, Israel. This is the place to be, my man. Oh, yes. We're in the Efrat Medical Center and the training center named for David Applebaum of blessed memory. Uh, Efrat Medical Center, a project of the One Israel Fund. Um, how many years are you in Israel now? Thirteen years, thank wow. God. And is your years. whole family here? Did your parents come at that time? How did it work? So how did it work? Um, no, I mean, we met Aliyah. This was before the days of Nevish Benevish. We did it the old school, the old-fashioned way, and we had a, my wife and I had a five-year plan, and we did it in four and a half years. Uh, I graduated at YU. I did a year here actually in Bar-Ilan University, then YU, and then we put together a plan, and that's the way to do it. I encourage all the listeners out there, get yourself a plan down on paper 
and say, this is how we're going to make our Aliyah. We had a five-year plan. Four and a half years later, we're here back in 2002 when it was pretty hectic here, but it's oh, been yeah. hectic here every every day since. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, you know, I wouldn't do anything differently. I'll and tell you that. if the plan doesn't work, rewrite the plan. Exactly. Exactly. Where adjusted. were you living when you first moved here? Uh, we were living in Jerusalem. We were in Jerusalem for the first nine years in various neighborhoods in Jerusalem. And we've now been here in El Azar, across the street here from Efrat in Gush Etzion for the last uh, approximately four or five years. All right. It seems you've always been involved, though, in the activities of Yesha, the activities of Judea and Samaria. How did that begin? How did that begin? Good question. I mean, that was something that uh, was instilled in me back when I was working in the Jerusalem Post in the advertising department selling ads out of their New York office. And I picked up a book called Eye on the Media by David Barilan. And uh, I don't know if you remember the book. Sure. He used to work in Bibi's office, the prime minister's office. And he was editor of the Jerusalem Post. Yeah, and that book changed my life. It really exposed to me the the you know the the virtual the vitriol and the hate um, which you see on the mainstream media, especially when it comes to Israel and in particular Judea and Samaria. And that's when I got involved. And since then, I've been doing you know everything from radio broadcasting and writing op eds to uh, to writing feature articles for the paper. Uh, working for Arucheva up in Bethel, broadcasting on the radio. I've now been broadcasting five years in a row uh, on different radio uh, networks. And I was a spokesperson for Judea, Judea and Samaria leading up to the uh, the expulsion in 2005. I was there in 2004. Um, and, you know, Yesha, that's why I'm here. That's why I'm living in El Azar, to be a part of, uh, to be a part of Yesha, to be on the front lines. You were very involved in, the, uh, in, in what happened ten years ago in terms of the uh, disengagement and trying to remind the world how absurd an episode that was and how tragic it would be for the Jewish people. And, of course, most of your predictions and other responsible people's predictions came true, unfortunately. Yeah, I was actually looking at some old videos from uh, Associated Press Television just the other day uh, talking about why it was a bad idea back in 2004. And it's unbelievable. You know, I'm not a prophet. I didn't have a, uh, that type of vision. It just made so much sense uh, how misguided that plan was. There was an article released just the other day from a, uh, a consultant to Ariel Sharon, Prime Minister Sharon Dove Weissglass, in which essentially 10 years later, he says that, you know, the plan wasn't bad. It would have given us control over more of Judea and Samaria. It would have increased security. We're now 10 years later, and they're still saying that the feeling at the top from the prime minister, unfortunately, was it would increase security. And, of course, um, you know, 500% increase in rockets, three operations in Gaza later, and the uh, the rockets, which are still falling today. People forget from time to time the yeah. rockets are still falling. Why, why did these inevitabilities seem simple to you? And, and great people working in government at the time just couldn't understand it. Uh, it it's simple when you listen to what your enemies are saying. I mean, <laughs> Hamas... Fatah, whomever was in charge, uh, you know, at that time it was Fatah, etc. They said openly, uh, we will attack Israel from any inch of land which you vacate. And the same principle has been true ever since this, uh, the founding of the Oslo Accords back in 1993. They've said it. They've done it. And I believe that when Hamas says we are going to attack, we are going to launch rockets, we are going to kidnap, we are going to do all kinds of things to kill the Zionists, they won't say the state of Israel. You'll never hear them. You'll never hear the Iranians say the state of Israel, the Israelis. We are going to uh, kill the Zionists. We are going to make their lives miserable. They say it. I believe it. And for some reason, and, and you know, I cannot understand it till this day how that was justified, how that was going to supposedly increase our security and, of course, all these 
deals that Ariel Sharon apparently made uh, concerning a letter with George Bush, etc. You see any administration, a new administration that comes in, they have the right to rip up that piece of paper. You know, whether it's yeah. that, whether it's on the good side, hopefully, uh, if this Iran deal does go through and one of these Republicans, Ted Cruz or whomever, becomes uh, the, pr- the president, they're already saying, and this is a good thing, that he will rip up that Iranian deal. So... That's essentially what we had back then, and we're, we're experiencing today. Go visit the Gush Katif families 10 years later who are still not settled. Yeah. Uh, that is our reality. Josh Haston is here. We're here today in Efrat, really due to the unity of the Ateret Kohanim organization and the One Israel Fund. What can you tell our listeners about the work of the One Israel Fund now in 2015? So the One Israel Fund I'm very, very close to. Mark Provisor, the security chief, is a very, very dear friend. And I've actually flown to the States speaking uh, under um, in conjunction with One Israel, raising funds for security, various projects for El-Azhar and other communities. I mean, their mantra, Mark's mantra, he says it all the time, is no more Jewish victims. That is their mantra. And that's not just a, a, a catchphrase or a statement. He and the entire organization, whether it's Eve Harrow or anybody else, Scott Feltman, they believe that we need to do what is necessary to make sure there are no more Jewish victims. We have to provide security. We have to provide uh, first response medical teams. We have to have equipment. And it's all, not only Judea and Samaria. You know, Mark was down there during the war last summer in the south, protecting those communities on the front lines. As you remember, all the tunnels coming up, popping up into, into uh, people's communities. The One Israel Fund operates all over the country, wherever it's needed, the north, the south, Judea and Samaria, and people should know I'm not a paid employee of the One Israel Fund. I'm saying this because I'm, I, I mean it, I believe it, I've seen it for myself, and uh, you know I've seen the results of it in my own community and throughout the communities. They save lives. No more Jewish victims. That should be the mantra of our people here in 2015. They have really stuck to their mission. Absolutely. Right? They said we're going to help Israel grow and do so in the most secure way possible and help the people who are really uh, establishing the facts on the ground. They continue to do that now. Yeah, they're doing that now, and, and whether it's the security, and they do other things too, uh, playgrounds, and uh, this facility that we're sitting in today, the Efrat Medical Center, you know, uh, financed uh, in part, uh, assisted by the by the One Israel Fund, they they do everything from from the smallest details, things you wouldn't even think of that Chayalim soldiers need on the front lines, uh, to the average security, the Rav Shatz as they're called, the security chiefs, little things making a huge difference all over, all throughout the country of Israel. Uh, people can visit oneisraelfund.org, oneisraelfund.org, also five one six two three nine nine two zero two five one six two three nine. 9202, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned Scott. Good opportunity to give a little shout out to Scott Feltman for all his great work. Yeah, for sure. Scott, you do an amazing job. Uh, good friend Eve Harrow here on the ground leading tours, uh, places where other people will not take you. The One Israel Fund does that. Eve Harrow and Mark Provisor and everyone else, uh, they just do just an amazing job. Seeing is believing and they take you to places. I've gone to places with Mark Provisor that other people, <laughs> 98% of the population even here probably haven't seen and just truly remarkable experiences. And again, no more. If you take one thing away from this interview no more jewish victims we have had enough and uh we're doing the best that we can here on the front lines Josh, great seeing you great thank seeing you, so you much for being here thanks so much and if i can't just a shout yes, out to, to the kugel family <laughs> staten island new york we love you we miss you come home to israel soon thanks so much <laughs> more and more coming up here at jm and the a and we have now nira rabinowitz is with us right nira rabinowitz is with us and and daniel nira's in beit yonatan correct She's in Beit Yonatan. Uh, Beit Yonatan is named for Jonathan Pollard. It is in the Yemenite village, and it is at one of those amazing homes that we saw yesterday, courtesy of Atarat Kohanim. Nira, welcome to JM in the AM. Hello, thank you. A pleasure to speak with you. Where are you from originally? 
I'm from Jerusalem, but uh, from the west side, <laughs> generally speaking. At what point did you decide to move to uh, the more eastern part, an older part of Jerusalem? Well, the truth is that it started before I got married, because I used to be... Uh, unfortunately, we'll have to wait for Nira to get back to us. And when she does, we'll continue that conversation. Nira Rabinowitz and Beit Yonatan, which is a house in uh, in the... Um... Uh, Nira, are you there? Yes, Okay, go right ahead. I'm sorry you got cut off. Go right ahead. I'm sorry. You were saying? I was saying that I used to babysit Matthew Dallas' children before <laughs> I got married. And that's how I discovered that people actually live beyond Jaffa Gate and uh, beyond uh, the Kotel. And uh, when I met my husband, he was also very, very in the issue of living in East Jerusalem. And we started uh, asking for Materat Kohanim to give us the privilege of living in East Jerusalem. And about a year after we got married, we got the suggestion to come and live at the Yemenites village. I had no idea what it is. We came once, we saw the place, and we said, that's it, that's the place. And we came with a three-month baby. Now she's nine and a half years old. She's got another five little brothers under her. We're all living there, not going to go anywhere else but Kfarateimanim. We love it there. It's a beautiful place. You saw it yesterday. Yeah, I saw it all right. And as you're describing all this and you're talking about your children growing up there, I can't help but think of how difficult, I know you may not say it's difficult, but how, how hard it is between getting in and out of the area, uh, the security of the area, the children very often not being able to leave the apartment, even on very hot days like this week. Uh, I, know you're, I, know, I know you're very positive and you have a very positive outlook and you know that this is very important to the future of the Jewish people, but it's not the easiest living conditions. Look, it's definitely difficult. I never said it's not. It's difficult. But first of all, in our house, we're saying, who said that the difficult is bad? <laughs> it's part of our life. We chose a difficult life for a very important issue, saving Jerusalem. It's not less than that. It's not less than that. Saving Jerusalem from an illegal building of Arabs. They don't care if they're allowed to be there or not. They don't care if it's their own land or not, because it's not. And the third Kwanim is working very hard for many years, day and night, really day and night, to save more and more houses that used to belong to the Yemenites or to the Hekdesh and to bring it back to our hands. Yeah. And for such an important issue, we're willing to live a very difficult life. It's not easy raising children in a very hostile area. I'm a social worker. I'm working with children with past uh, traumas in their childhood. I know the risks. And we're doing our best to, to bring up our children with health mind and health soul, even though it's very difficult. Yeah. So it means that we talk to them about the problems yeah. and we're telling them that we choose to live there. No one makes us live there. We can live tomorrow if we would like to. Understood. And we don't want to. And I want to tell you a story. Sure. About two months ago, uh, I was in the jeep, in the armed jeep that's taking us home with our children, and there were Molotov thrown at it. And it was really frightening. The whole front uh, window of the jeep was burning. And even though I just know that it's an armed jeep and the fire can't get in, it's still frightening. 
and I was just about to give birth. I gave birth two months ago. That's awesome. And the children were like, thank you. <laughs> the children were quite, were quite afraid, and so am I, and everyone was afraid. And when we got home, um, our little boy, he's four years old, said, Mommy, do we have to live here? Because it's a bit frightening. So he said, no, we don't have to live here. If it's too much for us, we can find another mission for our house. We think that Jerusalem is a very good mission to to be in. But if it's too much, we can live. So my two elder children, seven and a half years old and nine and a half years old, stood up and said, do you think we're going to leave this place? If we leave this place, they will understand the flowing Holocaust makes us go away. Yeah. We're not going anywhere. And that's our children speaking, not us speaking. Yeah. Uh, you're aware of the fact that Beit Jonathan is named for Jonathan Pollard and that he's aware that there is a building in the Ammonite village named for him. Yeah, and we're very excited. Throughout all the years, we've been drawing paintings and sending children's pictures to Jonathan Pollard with our sending of love and support and prayers. My son, the seven and a half years old, every night before he goes to sleep, every child can choose a song that I will sing to him <laughs> before he goes to sleep. <laughs> He's choosing Achenu Kol Beit Israel. And he's saying, this is for Jonathan Pollard. He's been doing it since he's three years old. Now he's seven and a half. And a month ago, when we heard that Jonathan, Jonathan Pollard is going out for free, he was so happy. He said, I know. I know that it's because I said that I'm praying for him. Oh, amazing. We are very well aware of Jonathan And we are so much praying that he will be able to come to Israel and come to see Beit Jonathan that's been praying for him for all these years. Nira Rabinowitz, what an honor to speak with you. Kolakavod and our best to everybody at the Emmonite Village. Thank you, and I just want to say one word sure. uh, to all the people who listen to us in Israel and in America and wherever they are. Please say a word for us when you're praying. Say a word for Derek Barney when you're praying. We need your help to support us when you think about us, when you pray for us. There's so much more to be done in East Jerusalem. It's a ticking bomb. And we're there for all of you to be able to come to the hotel and pray. And when you do that, please remember us and help us and help Ateret Kohanim continue saving Jerusalem. Mira Tadaraba, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Wow. She stunned all of us with that statement. Mira uh, Rabinowitz from Beit Yonatan in the Ammonite village. The work of Ateret Kohanim continues to be highlighted through this very special morning. Uh, get in touch with them at 212-216-9270. Uh, go to the JerusalemChai.org website, JerusalemChai.org. And uh, those of you traveling here for Sukkot, arrange to see this incredible area of Yerushalayim, which is so close to areas that you know so well, but it's so different and worth a visit. More coming up. We're in the Efrat Medical Center, courtesy of both Atarat Kohanim and the One Israel Fund, at a very special Wednesday morning broadcast. I thank you all for tuning in right here at JM in the AM. I'm gonna die, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna die.
Here at JM in the AM. Before that, Yehuda Green 
and his Nigun Neshama here at JMM. Eve Harrow is with us live via telephone. She's director of tourism with the One Israel Fund, and the group is now, I'm told, by the Aza border. That's why she's not here with us in Efrat. She is with a group that is traveling near the Aza border as we speak. Eve, welcome to JM in the AM. Welcome to Israel. Tadaraba. Thank you. It's been quite a journey to say the least, and a big thank you to the One Israel Fund. Tell us about today's tour. Who's with you, and uh, what are you seeing today? Okay, so as everyone knows, it's been 10 years since the expulsion from Gaza. And so every we do this all the time anyhow, but even more so this summer. Bought a group down. We've got about 30 people, people who are part of One Israel Fund, people who just wanted to come today and then perhaps participate in some of the One Israel Fund projects. Right now we are in a place called Nissan in between Ashkelon and Ashdod. It's essentially a refugee camp. Ten years down, we still have people from Gush Katif living here in these little, like, mobile homes. They have built a beautiful heritage center, though, here, and I recommend that everybody come down here about what life was like in Gush Katif, you come away understanding what they went through, and at least my feeling every time I'm here and I see it is, where do these people live? I want to go live next door, because they're magnificent people who something terrible was done to them, they've picked up their heads, wherever they've landed, they've tried, if possible, to really, you know, brighten the lives of the people around them, get back into farming. If you're eating pineapples, fresh pineapples in Israel today, it's because of them and what they're doing in the Chalutza sand dunes on the Egyptian border, bringing Tola wherever they go. You know, if the diamond had to be shattered and scattered, they really, they're twinkling wherever they are. And they're really very, very special, but it really behooves us to keep in mind what they've gone through and to help them. And I would like to have someone from Peace Now here instead of me. Like, I would rather be visiting these people at their homes in Gush Katif. But the people who wanted them out of their homes should have been the ones to at least help them resettle. Haven't done so, and so the rest of us have to do it. And then One Israel Fund has taken a big part of that and, and helping them wherever they are. So from here, we're going over down to have lunch at one of the kibbutzim Alamim on the Gaza border. It's the kibbutz that did not evacuate last summer. The people stuck to it, even though missiles were raining down. It wasn't an easy situation. Then we're going to be meeting um, with Keith Erickson, one of the leaders of the army in the area. And we've been distributing equipment to them already over the years. I mean, during the war, Mark Kavizer, our head of security, was down there helping to secure the Gaza border, helping fill in some of the gaps with equipment. If it's special, light, bulletproof vests that they can wear as they jump in and out of their Jeeps to, like, lighting equipment and binoculars and medical kits. And there's a whole campaign going on, so we're going to be distributing some more of that. You know, we give out as much as we've got funds to do. So we're going to be doing that, and then we're going to be ending our day over with Anita Tucker, huh. uh, magnificent, the celery lady, whom She's everybody amazing. knows, yeah. over in her new home, right? She's just amazing, over in her new home in Yesodot Netzer Chazani, and she just makes everybody feel good, even though I don't know where she gets the strength to do that. So a little bit of army, a little bit of people, a little bit of history, and uh, and that's our day. I like that's the kinds of trips that we like to run. I like the point you made earlier that there's always, the funds are available, there's always work to be done and things to distribute, equipment that's needed, families that can be helped. All people have to do, if they're listening, is be part of it, become your partner, and then you're able to uh, do all these things. A lot of people think, you know, One Israel Fund only at the time of, heightened security needs, and when things are really bad, you know, they're there. But as you just described, they're there on a daily basis for everybody. Oh, absolutely. And what's so nice is a lot of the kibbutzim around the Gaza border are ideologically not where a lot of the members of 
let's say when there's all funds are, you know, the, the, uh, the fund was begun in order to provide for the humanitarian needs of the communities in Sudan, Samaria, and Gaza. And you have a lot of these kibbutzim, especially on the Gaza border, who ideologically were not there. And what they're seeing now, you know, we all talk about unity and of Jews caring about Jews, leaving aside the differences of opinion. This is exactly what we're doing, because by going into this kibbutzim and by an organization that, you know, didn't necessarily, they don't necessarily see eye to eye with politically. This organization is coming in using money that could go, you know, to a community, say, in the Shomon, instead to help them there on the Gaza border. That has done more to build a trust and a good feeling and a love between different kinds of Jews than almost anything else. When no one else was coming down there, now there are thankfully other organizations, federations down there, and JNF and other people have also come in and are doing things to fill the gaps, and we're all working together, which is almost miraculous when it comes to that, um, but really, when it comes to Jewish organizations working together, I don't have to say more, um, but we were really the first ones to do that, and it's been, been uh, there's no other way of saying it, but Kiddush Hashem, when they see people coming in and saying, you're our brothers, we want to help, what's going on here, no one is helping you, it's been absolutely amazing, and just a beautiful thing to see, and to be a part of, and really, I mean, you're saving lives, a lot of the Bulletproof Vest, because that's one of the big campaigns that we started because of the last fatality in last summer's war, um, Zevik at Dunn, who was killed, he was one of the heads of security down there, and he was killed, and uh, so a campaign was started to give these guys vests, because a lot of the vests are very cumbersome, so there's a new design, um, a light ceramic that can be worn for a long time because they're jumping in and out and they need mobility. And it's not the, it's not the same kind of vest that, let's say, soldiers would wear. And uh, we've raised money and given out already over 40 vests. So when you do that, you're literally saving a life. I mean, and there's no other way of saying it. Yeah. When these guys are outfitted properly, they can go and save other lives. And you, you just start a whole chain of events that's incalculable about how, you know, about Jews caring about each other. And you don't have to live here to do it. And Eve, it's just amazing thing. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. So continue enjoying today's tour and all the tours. You must be very, very busy this time of year. And I'm sure with the upcoming holidays, you'll be very busy with a lot of uh, Well, I've folk. got a wine tour to the Shamron on Monday, if everybody hears. That's a whole <laughs> other side of it. We're going to lurch from one place in the Shamron to the other this coming Monday. It should be great. If you know friends and relatives, and there are plenty now who are in Israel, let them know the One Israel Fund is doing that on Monday. Eve Harrow, Director of Tourism for the One Israel Fund. Tadara Ban, Kolakavot for your amazing work. Thank you. Thank you so much for what you did. Bye, everybody. All right. Day two of our amazing journey to the Holy Land. And we're with, uh, speaking of Jewish unity and organizational unity, we're the guests of both the Tarot Konim and the One Israel Fund. Uh, pretty incredible. Together, hosting us here at the Efrat Medical Center, a project of the One Israel Fund. And we thank everybody who had a role in the bringing us here for this two-day journey to Israel. Rabbi David Goldwasser's words, Zechanishmaser of Zeb and Alevi, and Esther Basra Yosef Halevi, here is Rabbi David Goldwasser with Morning Chizuk. Good morning. We're going to be continuing with our series on Elul. The Vilna Goyen explains that there are 248 mitzvahs asay, positive commandments, 365 mitzvahs loisase, negative commandments. The mitzvahs asay represent the limbs of a person. The 365 mitzvahs loisase, the negative commandments represent the 365 days of the year. When a person transgresses a mitzvah say, he debases one of his limbs. When a person transgresses a mitzvah loisase, he has impaired that day. When we do tshuva, 
When a person does tshuva on his avera, the mitzvah saseh, the limb that has been impaired returns to its former strength. When he does tshuva on the avera, the mitzvah loisase, he restores the day to its former glory. Like it's written, Hashivenu Hashem Eilecha v'noshuva. Return us Hashem to you, and we will be returned. Chadesh Yomenu Kikedem. Renew our days as they were in their former glory. The Baal Shem Tov explains that Hashem wants very much all of B'nai Yisrael should fear Him. It says in Brachos, Lo Nivru Ra'amim, thunder was created only to straighten out the crookedness of the heart. If a person is wise, then he fears Hashem because he realizes that Hashem is all-powerful. However, this is only a wise person who naturally has the fear of heaven. Hashem, however, also desires that even those who are not so wise should fear Him as well. Because of this, Hashem sometimes causes a fright in the world with something that even man with limited intellectual ability can be frightened by. Therefore, Hashem created thunder to achieve this end of inspiring Yira Shomayim. Echosid once had to travel to Paris for business. Before he left, his Rebbe, the Imri Emes, requested of him to buy a particular brand of cigars for him. The Chosid left for Paris. However, during all the time that he was there, he forgot to fulfill the request of the Rebbe. Upon his return to Warsaw, the businessman suddenly recalled the mission that his Rebbe had sent him on. He came into the Imre Emes, broken-hearted, to ask Mechila for returning empty-handed. The Imre Emes was upset. He said to him in astonishment, Did you think for one moment that I really wanted those cigars from Paris? I only wanted you to remember that you are my shliach. I wanted you not to forget that you still have a Rebbe in Warsaw. What a shame it is that you forgot. Hashem Yisbarach sends our Neshamas into this earthly world in order to do His mission, His Shlichus. Through Torah, Avoid and Gemilas Chasodim, we never forget that we are messengers of Hashem. This has been Rabbi David Goldwasser bringing you morning chizik. Have a nice day. J.M. in the A.M. It is the month of Elul, which means we follow Rabbi Goldwasser with our Elul chauffeur blowing here at J.M. in the A.M. I thank everybody around the world for joining us for this uh, two-day journey to Israel. Big thank you to Nefesh Benefesh and, of course, all our friends here at Ateret Kohanim and the One Israel Fund as we uh, broadcast from the Efrat Medical Center here in uh, Efrat, Israel. With us live via telephone, he is the mayor of the Gush Etzion Regional Council. Davidi Pearl is with us via telephone. Mayor Pearl, shalom and welcome to JM in the AM. Shalom, shalom and bokertov. Good morning. Boker Tov, what an honor to speak with you. Uh, for those not familiar, explain what the Gush Etzion Regional Council is. Um, so Gush Etzion is a very famous area in, in Israel. It's a place that they established uh, four times in the previous year uh, before the state of Israel established and destroyed by the Arabs a uh, few times. And recently, after the Six-Day War, 
60, uh, um, 40, 48 years ago, established from uh, the beginning again, Kfar uh, Etzion, and then the rest of the communities. And today we are, with God's help, uh, to any communities, 22,000 residents, all this beside uh, Efrat and Beita and the other uh, communities. And we have a mix of uh, communities, religious, not religious, ultra-Orthodox, and uh, many, many uh, different uh, variants of uh, communities in the, state, in the society in Israel. And we are very proud in, in what we are doing because we are not doing just Hit Yashvud, you're not just living in the area of Judea and Samaria, but more than this, we are really uh, busy in education, very uh, unique system of education, that mixed religious and non-religious kids in the same school, uh, integrated the disabled kids in regular classes, and very, very special and unique uh, way and, uh, of life with a uh, to, to other people. David Pearl, a mayor of the Gush Etzion Regional Council, is with us. We should also mention, especially for this audience, that a nice percentage of the 20 communities that you mentioned have Jews from the United States. There are plenty of people from the U.S. who have helped build some of the towns that you've uh, spoken about in the Gush Etzion region. Yes, you are. You have many, many of people that uh, immigrated coming on Aliyah from the state, and not just from the state, from all of uh, the diaspora, more than 50 countries, people coming to live in Gush Etzion, and yes, a lot of them from the state, and we are proud that they are want to come to live in Gush Etzion, to be a part of the, our community, and they have a lot of influence and good things to bring to the Israeli communities in Gush Etzion. And I think it's another thing that we should be proud of. Oh, no question about it. Mayor David D. Pearl, how important has the One Israel Fund been in helping the communities grow and in helping with specific projects for the community? So it's very hard to describe in words uh, the good work that they are doing for us. They are, have a, a big influence in, in all of the area because they're helping us with the security projects, education projects, uh, religion projects, and, and health. You are sitting now in a medical center that serves all the area, Jews and Arabs if they need. And I think the one year fund are working with us as a partner, and we can trust them that the money that they uh, um, uh, funds from all the people around the world and in Israel going to the uh, good things and making the most of this money uh, with us. And uh, this time we have the opportunity to thank them and to thank all the uh, donors that help them to give money to our communities in all the area. Mayor Davidi Pearl is with us, Mayor of the Gush Etzion Regional Council. He is correct. We are sitting in the Efrat Medical Center and this is a project of the One Israel Fund that is a tremendous success. We'll speak more about it coming up. It's not a secret, Mayor Pearl. This area is flourishing. The Gush is flourishing, and it's incredible, Baruch Hashem, what is going on here. People are sometimes concerned because it's in a very sensitive area, so to speak, here in Israel. And we know that now we are 10 years removed from what happened during the summer of 2005. What can you say about the future of the Gush, the future of Gush Etzion, as you look at it now in 2015? Um, in my view, the future of the Gush is, is part of the future of the state of Israel at all. You can't look in the Gush or other area 
as, as a, a, a something that you know uh, not a part. It's a part of the Soviet and we are under uh, into a independent war still, and we always have to fight and make sure that we, uh, uh, in one hand, increasing uh, the population. Uh, build more houses, have more education, and uh, on the other hand, to hold the gun and to make uh, the security better. Uh, and But, as I said, it's not just Gush Etzion, it's all about Israel. And the go- our government understand they we have to fight uh, and build our uh, um, uh, base in, in all the world. They will understand that we are going to stay here forever, and they have to to respect it and help us uh, to settling in all over the areas. And I believe the Gush Etzion, with all the rest of the Yitzhak will continue and will increase and will uh, stay forever. But we're going to have a lot of challenges in the future too. No question about it. Mayor David Pearl, well said. Tadaraba, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much. And again, thank you for the one year fund and all the people that work hard for us. Uh, to help and to increase. It's our honor and pleasure to have you at the medical center, and thank you very much again. Tadaraba. There he is, Mayor Davidi Pearl, the mayor of the Gush Etzion Regional Council. We are guests today of the One Israel Fund. They're at 516-239-9202, oneisraelfund.org. We are guests of Ateret Koanim. Their incredible work, which we saw with our own eyes yesterday, and today we're getting an amazing opportunity to speak with some of the people that are in the Yemenite village, and of course the leadership of Ateret Koanim as well. At the Efrat Medical Center, a big shout-out to Chaim Liebteg, who takes great pride in the fact that we are here today uh, at doing this radio program. Thank you, Chaim. Um, we mentioned earlier, thank you to Scott Feltman. Uh, thank you to uh, Rabbi Marcus, who's going to be joining us coming up. Um, uh, Rabbi David Marcus, Senior Development Officer at the One Israel Fund and Executive Director of the Sephirot Medical Center. He's scheduled to join us a little later. And a big thank you to everybody who's made this show possible. I want to give a special thanks and shout-out to Traveler's Choice, to uh, Yossi and Devorah Leifer. I want to give a special shout-out to the Inbal Hotel and Alex Herman, who I saw earlier today, for again housing us in our headquarters in Jerusalem. And uh, Travel Cell, who have really... Uh, stepped up. They have uh, taken over our on-air call-in system today, and we're glad they did because it sounds great. TravelCell.com or 877-CELL-PHONE, TravelCell.com or 877-CELL-PHONE. More coming up. This is JM in the AM. Raising flags Seen you dressed in ashen rags Seen them all turn around Just like you I hold my ground But I stand quiet, I stand still Like a rock throughout the ages I'm just a stone from your home I'm Jerusalem Stone And I've waited all this time See you in this land of mine And I've waited through the ugliness and grime See you in this land of mine
trip eighth days jerusalem stone here at jm in the am well yesterday we visited the emonite village guests of ateret koanim as we've been telling you and the shira tanami is one of the people we met at beit hadvash in the emonite village and uh it was an honor to meet her and her family shira welcome to jm in the am hello nice to speak with you that was an incredible and inspiring visit yesterday i must say and uh, right off the bat, and we've been emphasizing this as we talk about the Yemenite village, we are amazed that you and your family are able to negotiate the, uh, the, 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 the circumstances of living there and the security concerns and always having to travel in and out with security and having difficulty, you know, running errands and doing things that, you know, regular people do in regular neighborhoods. With all that, do you find it satisfying to be living in that area of Jerusalem? Yes, you feel you're doing something important. Uh, you can see the people uh, coming and visiting and understanding that it, they're also part of something important. Uh, and uh, you hear the news. Uh, you know how much uh, it changes reality. 
There's no question about it. We always talk about facts on the ground, and you and your family have certainly established some facts on the ground. What are the ages of your children? Uh, my oldest is nine and a half, and then I have a six-and-a-half girl, and four-and-a-half, and a uh, year-and-a-half. And I guess it would be obvious to state that they don't know an alternative. This is the life that they are used to at this point. And, it, and even though we may look from the outside and think of the inconvenience that they may be facing, they don't know of anything other than this. Well, they go to their grandparents, they visit friends. Uh, they know that not everything is the same like this, uh, but that, this is what they know as home, yeah. Right. And do they speak to you about that, about how different things are when they go to other areas? Uh, not, not in that way. It comes out like... Uh, during other, uh, when you talk about other things. Uh, in other situations. Shira yeah. Tanami is with us in the Yemenite village. And what about the message that you give them? Do you, do you openly speak to them about the goal that your family has and the important work that they're doing just living there and what it means for the future of Yerushalayim? Well, not on a daily basis, but uh, it comes up and they know that uh, they're part of a group that doing uh, something that's very important. Uh, they feel it every day. They're, it's not a regular place to live. So they know that it's uh, something different. We talk about the influence and obviously the, the help and the uh, and the work that Atara Konim is doing and how you're the benefit and the entire Jewish people are the beneficiaries, but directly, of course, they try to help as much as possible. Now, they went ahead from one person and then one family and finally are up to the point of 1,000 residents in the Muslim quarter, the old Jewish quarter. Do you sometimes think that the work you're doing is going to lead to hundreds, if not thousands of people living in your area of Yerushalayim? Well, we're part of that vision uh, that helps us uh, when it's hard. We look at the, uh, the Muslim quarter and the Christian quarter and other neighborhoods that are around us, that Tzedek Kani was part of them, and we know that they started just like us, a, a little group, and uh, we're growing now. The last year has been incredible, and the Khani was working very hard to continue that and uh, make our, our community bigger, and uh, we know that in a couple of years, we'll be there. Your group, your community, your neighborhood is still relatively small, but the way you're describing it, it's much larger than it was a year or two ago. Yes. Uh, <laughs> well, it's also, we, we were nine families, and now we're going to be... 14 families, and we're waiting for a renovation of uh, a couple of apartments, which are going to grow uh, even more. But uh, very important is that uh, the new houses um, help us um, uh, connect us to Rir David, and we could walk uh, going in and out with uh, with guards that escort us, so we don't have to go in only in vehicles that are bulletproof. We could also walk, right. which is very important. Oh, it certainly is. Well, Kolakavod, Shira, it was an honor meeting you and your family and uh, continue the uh, the work that you're doing with your family to ensure that the Jewish people will be able to be wherever they want in the holy city of Jerusalem very, very soon. Thank you very much. Shira Tanami from Beit HaDvash in the Yemenite village. The work of Atarat Kaanim is amazing. And we saw it. We saw it from her house. <laughs> we saw it touring the street in front of her home and being part of a tour that was uh, completely inspiring. JerusalemChai.org has information about anything that you need to know regarding the work of Atarat Kohanim, and you could also uh, call them at 212-216-9270, 212-216-9270.
888-900-9270 for information about all of this. More coming up. It's JM in the AM on our second of a two-day journey to Israel. Today at the Efrat Medical Center in Efrat, Israel. More coming up at JM in the AM. Yeah. 
in the AM, I'm Iran Devere, and now, for me, the highlight of our visit to Efrat, Israel. My wonderful Rebbe, Rabbi Shlomo Riskin, who of course is the Chief Rabbi of Efrat, and well known to so many people in this audience, is joining me here. I have the pleasure of speaking. I think this is the first time that both of us are in Efrat for one of these conversations. Welcome to the show. That's correct. It's wonderful to see you. One of the best students I ever had, and certainly one of the tallest students I ever had. I always had to look up to him, even when he was a freshman in high school. <laughs> oh, Rabbi Riskin, it's wonderful to see you. And may, may I please say, uh, before we speak about Efrat and One Israel Fund and, and Yesha, etc., and the Gush, May I please say that there are so many people in our audience, and we have no need to go into all the details of what you have to go through, but there are so many people, including myself in this audience, who are so thrilled that you maintain your position and continue to grow with this city as Chief Rabbi of Efrat. I thank so, you. I thank you. Thank you very much. I didn't go through anything. It was all Baruch Hashem. Baruch Hashem. Wonderful. Everything worked out, and you had a lot yes, of support, yes, thank yes. God, from around the world, and well-deserved. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here in Efrat. This medical center is just one example of the great work of what's being done in this area. And you, of course, can speak about Efrat and this area when it was just uh, a, a, uh, a dream, a hilltop, one of many hilltops that you've helped establish over the years. Now we're talking about an a, a area of the Gush that is so remarkable and so incredible and continues to grow, has plenty of people from around the world, including many Anglos, of course, who are part of it. It must be amazing for you to look back and see what's happened here. On Shabbat, I try to go to every synagogue that has a simcha. We have now 38 synagogues in Efrat, Baruch Hashem, in some seven hills. And for me, it's a long walk, very often. It's sometimes an hour, one direction. But I never cease to thank HaKadosh Baruch Hu every step of the way the realization of the dream has been far greater than the dream was originally, and that means it's HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and I'm very grateful. What about this area in general? It's not just Efrat. You've seen all these different communities sprout up, and you've seen them grow tremendously over the last couple of decades. It's amazing what's happening in this area. Gush Etzion is a very special place. You have to understand that it's exactly midway between Hebron and Yerushalayim. Hebron was where the Jewish dream began, with Avram Avinu and Sarah Imenu. Yerushalayim is where the Jewish dream will culminate with Yemot Mashiach. Therefore, we're just the bridge between the beginning and, please God, the culmination. And the way we feel here every single day, we're much closer to the culmination. <laughs> Almost impossible to live in this area and not have a perspective of Jewish history and the Jewish future. Something that some of the folks that are listening in the New York area may not appreciate. And to believe in miracles. As Golda Meir said, to live in Israel and to, be, to believe in a miracle is to be a realist. And not to see the miracle before your eyes not to see the great wonders of our generation of kibbutz galuyot and the return of Jews from Ethiopia, from Africa, from India, the Bnei, the, 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 the Bnei Menashe, the Bnei Dan from Ethiopia, the Bnei Menashe from India, the Bnei Paras who were in China for hundreds and hundreds of years and now have come to live here. 
It's just amazing. Rabbi Shlomo Riskin is here. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 in the FM dial, around the world on the web, jmnam.org. Uh, there are so many people listening who would love to get your perspective on what's happening today worldwide. You know how the Iran deal, so to speak, is in the headlines, and you know what's happening now in the United States with political uh, maneuvering in terms of the future and the potential future of that deal. Uh, what, what, should, what, what, what should we be thinking, and what are your thoughts as we continue to wonder what the enemy has in store and how we, as a free country in the United States and other, uh, others who believe in freedom, should be reacting? From the beginning of, of world history, there have been only two views, philosophical views, about the human being and what the human being is. The first, and that was Greek Sparta, and what Greek Sparta Rome gave to the world, was that the human being is a complex animal, a complicated machine. The human being is better than the animal, but fundamentally no different from the animal. And those characteristics of the animal, which human beings have, like beauty and like power and like swiftness, they became the gods on Mount Olympus. The Darwinian known, the, the, the Darwinian idea of survival of the fittest fits into this picture very well. And from an evolutionary perspective, the most powerful animals survived. Right. They needed a brain, they had to develop that brain to help their brawn, but fundamentally, it's power that survives. It's might that trumps right. Judaism gave the world a wholly different notion. The human being is part God. The human being is created in the image of the divine. The human being has an aspect of the eternal within him, and that's the God within him. And the human being is qualitatively different from the animal, and therefore the human being is inviolate and inviolable. Therefore thou shalt not murder must be an absolute. Thou shalt not murder an innocent person. Every person was created in God's image. Whole different notion. Now we're in the midst of a religious war. And it is a religious war. And the religious war is between those who believe in the human being created in God's image. And that means a human being who is free. And that means a human being that must live in a world that will ultimately accept compassionate righteousness and moral justice as its goal. Peace as the most important thing to achieve. War as an evil, unless it's necessary to destroy the evil and to enthrone the good. That's what Malchiot on Rosh Hashanah is all about. Mm-hmm. Now in this war, extremist Islam is on the other side of Israel and the people who believe in righteous compassion and in moral justice. Extremist Islam has made of Allah a God of power, and the goal being jihad, war, 
and not peace. Now, America was always from the time of the founding fathers of America on the side of Israel in this crucial battle. America, the founding fathers of America, read the Bible very closely. They understood the story of Yitziat Mitzrayim as being a story that pertained to every nation and every human being. God wants us to be free. I am the Lord who took you out of Egypt, the house of bondage. If we are free, created in His image, everyone created in His image must be free. And that's why again and again in the Parshiot now, Kitetse especially, remember that you were slaves in the land of Egypt. God redeemed you. You must redeem the underdog. You must redeem the person who is enslaved. The very first battle that Abraham fought on the side of the five nations against the terrorist four nations was a battle against terrorism because an innocent lot and innocent other other lots were captured by the terrorist four nations. Now America believed in this and therefore the first seal of the United States that was crafted by Benjamin Franklin was a seal which pictured the Reed Sea splitting. The Hebrews emerging triumphant from the raging waters and the Egyptians drowning. And what was crucial, which is what was written on that seal, rebellion against tyranny is obedience to God. That's what it meant to believe in God. God demands freedom for every human being because we are only subjugated to God, not to any other human being. That was exactly the way President Reagan felt when he called the communist empire the evil empire. On that basis, President Bush urged that we fight against terrorism. When the United States signed a deal that would give Iran a tremendous amount of money and a tremendous amount of weaponry and not truly prevent her from becoming nuclear, maybe delay her a little bit from becoming nuclear. And when America did this, in the midst of cries and screams in Tehran, death to Israel, death to America. Because the tyrants always hated Israel because we taught a different morality to the world. We taught that right will trump might. That's why Hitler was obsessed with us and frightened to death of us. And that's why Iran wants us destroyed and out of the picture. Iran is the number one terrorist agent in the world today. Tunis, Yemen, Syria, Hezbollah, 
Hamas. That's all Iran. And Iran says death to America and burns the American flag. And Iran says death to Israel and burns the Israeli flag. And while this is happening, America is signing a deal which makes Iran richer and stronger and almost nuclear. If that's not selling out, what is selling out? And we must stand tall because that's the Jewish goal in the world. The Jewish goal in the world is to remind the world of the biblical ideal of what the human being is. A child of God created in his image, therefore inviolate. And if we don't do this, we are not doing what we must do. When our Prime Minister spoke before the Congress of the United States, I was extremely proud. That's how we became a nation again. That's the purpose for which we became a nation again. We, returning to history after 2,000 years, must teach the world. God says, I have chosen Abraham. Brashit, 18, verses 18 and 19. I have loved you and chosen you, Abraham, because you are teaching the generations after you to observe the ways of the God of love, compassionate righteousness and moral justice, tzedakah mishpat. The deal with Iran is sacrilege. The deal with Iran is a desecration of God's name. The deal with Iran is enabling the people created in God's image to be destroyed. We must stop it at all costs. We must save America from itself. We must remind America of its original ideals as well before it's too late. Rabbi Riskin is with us, Chief Rabbi of Efrat. We have a couple of minutes left. Uh, greatly appreciate the clear explanation like you can only give uh, to a complicated situation like this, or at least the media wants us to think it's complicated and not simple. Uh, we discussed how that we're at the Efrat Medical Center, and we're here courtesy of a couple of wonderful organizations, including the One Israel Fund. Uh, through them, so many people in the diaspora have been helpful to assist the Gush region, other areas of Yesha, and uh, we just love your perspective on those who are outside of Israel, but nonetheless participate in building Israel. Anyone who is outside of Israel, but has children or grandchildren in Israel, and helps build up Israel, is in Israel. There's no question in my mind. And one Israel is absolutely fantastic. Pinachama uh, is one little example of a marvelous, marvelous corner that was created by one Israel for soldiers at any time of the day and the night to get a drink, to get a piece of cake, to get a sandwich, to be able to take a respite a little bit, and they need it desperately. And the most important thing, from my perspective, is what, a, what Israel has done for the entire Gush, because this medical center serves the entire Gush, and it serves the Palestinians as well. With such a Kiddush Hashem, a sanctification of God's name, without charging them, because they have no insurance. It serves the Palestinians as well. It's a magnificent enterprise. You know, after the Second Lebanon War, during that war, we were shut off from Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. And we're very close to Jerusalem. We're some 20 minutes away from any of the major hospitals in Jerusalem. But if you're really shut off because of war, 
then you become totally isolated and in a very vulnerable position. Now what this Afrat Medical Center has done is take the Gush, which has today hundreds of thousands of Jews, and made it possible for them not to be shut off from medical help. During the regular hours, of course, the regular kind of uh, health services that is supposed to be given here, beyond those hours, all throughout the night, any emergency, all the necessary machinery that's necessary in order to test heart for strokes, immediate help, etc. It's all here. It's a tremendous comfort to all of us who live here. And it's a tremendous beacon to the world what diaspora can do in order to truly help Israeli Jewry. Kalakavod, you know I could spend all day with you, <laughs> but we only have a minute or two left. You, when you walked in, you mentioned my late mother, and I greatly appreciate that. What What is the message for those who no longer have parents? I find myself in this situation. How do we view the Jewish future differently than I may have a few weeks ago? That's an amazingly important question. I remember when my mother died, the first thing I thought about was as a young rabbi in in Lincoln Square Synagogue, there was an old man who was probably younger than I am today. And he had your side for his parents. And he said a Kilmole and he cried. And I came home with my wife and I said a little bit sarcastically old Mr. Schwartz was crying over his parents' death he became an orphan I guess the first thing I thought of when my mother died was how foolish I was then that now I'm an orphan and it's a very difficult feeling even if you're a grandfather when you become an orphan, you're still an orphan. And the first feeling has to be that you're pretty much on your own. The kind of support and backup that you always felt even with elderly parents because they were always there behind you and protective of you are no longer here. And I think the second feeling must be, especially in your case, and I know the kind of woman your mother was, the kind of Rebison she was, the kind of Jewish leadership that she gave in her way, together with your father and the amazing leadership that he gave in his way. You have to realize that with the Kaddish comes first and foremost responsibility. You can't in any way depend upon your parents' laurels. Whatever time you have left, you've got to make it. You've got to do it. I think that's the feeling that has to be. Thank you so much. And always an honor. And like I said, to be here with you is extra special. Tadaraban, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Rabbi Shlomo Riskin, Chief Rabbi of Efrat. Cult of more coming up. Keep it here on a, a Wednesday morning broadcast at JM in the AM.
ויאמץ, ועניין גדולים וסגולות נפלאות להוסיר ולבטל מיולו וכל דינים וצוינו יישא
Segula, that's actually the title track to his Segula CD here at JM. And by the way, a special shout-out going out to Sandy and Joe Waldman in Elizabeth, New Jersey. The message is Elchanan is here with listener Monica. That's right. Elchanan and listener Monica are here, and Elchanan's happy that the Yankees won last night. So he had a productive evening. Uh, thank everybody who uh, had a role in our trip, including our friends in Nefesh Benefesh and Traveler's Choice. Thank you, Yossi and Devorah. Thank you to everybody at the Inbal Hotel, including Alex Herman. Thank you to a travel cell who have really stepped up today. They are uh, doing a, a, a bang-up job with our on-air phone system. We thank them. Go to TravelCell.com before you leave for your trip, TravelCell.com, or 877-CELL-PHONE. Thank you. To Josh Melman and company. As we said earlier, big shout-outs going out to Chaim Liebtag and to Scott Feldman and everybody who had a role in setting up today's broadcast. We're here courtesy of our friends at uh, Teret Kohanim and our friends at the One Israel Fund. Ellie, um, now you got to help me, Ellie. Piepsch. There it is. I knew, <laughs> I knew I wouldn't get it. I practiced it and practiced it. Ellie Piepsch is here. He's representative of the Esha Council. Made Aliyah from Seattle a few years ago and lives in Carnage Shomron. Has launched an international division of the Esha Council with the One Israel Fund. What's it like leaving Seattle and finding yourself five years later living in Yesha? Well, when it's been 100 degrees for the past few days, I, I miss the <laughs> melancholy weather of Seattle. That's what we call it, melancholy? <laughs> I thought we call it rainy and damp. That's Not in the summer. In the summer, it's spectacular. Uh, what made you go from Seattle to uh, a community in Yesha? We had a lovely life in Seattle. Um, friends there, um, I miss them. Uh, we're trying to get them to make Aliyah. And actually, a month ago, one of our closest friends made Aliyah, not only to our yeshuv, but literally to our same building. What family? Um, the family is the Duke family. Wow. Uh, they just made Aliyah a few weeks ago. And this is the first time that the husband had been to Israel since 1976. 
the wife, I don't even want to know, and the kids had never been here. So they just came with a tremendous amount of amuna, without a job, um, and things within the first month are already working forward for them. So it's just incredible. Unbelievable. Ellie Piepsch is here, representative of the Yesha Council, uh, living in Karnei Shomron. So what does it mean that Yesha Council and One Israel Fund are now working together as an international division? Well, let me back up by explaining what is the Yesha Council. Right. The Yesha Council essentially is an umbrella governing organization. There are throughout Yudav Shamron, throughout Judea and Samaria. Including here in Afrat. Including here in Afrat. We have six different counties, four different cities, and about a dozen other, other smaller municipalities. The mayors of all of those regions form together a governing umbrella coalition. Um, we work together on things like security, things like business development, um, things like transportation, um, so that anything that is cross-border, we work together on. And as a result, my board consists of the mayors of all of those uh, counties or all those regions. Right. And as a result, when there is a shoal or there is a community that needs a park or a, pl- a shoal that needs a safer Torah, we know from all over the area. And when people who want to invest from the states or from anywhere want to invest in Yudav Shimon, want to help out the pioneers who are here, they want to donate a Torah. They don't necessarily know where to go. They, One Israel Fund is a wonderful organization that often accepts them. And then the, we work with the One Israel Fund and determine which place needs it. You know, my community in Neve Eliza has a lot of Anglos, a lot of Americans. In fact, uh, we play we a lot of Canadians. Matzah Shabbos to work off our cholent, we play hockey. Anybody who comes and wants to play, uh, play hockey, bring your sticks and you'll have a great game Matzah Shabbos. But... Most of our people, you know, they, they have family who maybe want to donate a Sefer Torah. We've got a dozen Sefer Torah. We don't need another one. It would be great. We'd do a big party, but there are many it communities that can use them. Right? Exactly. So some of the stuff is basic things like that, but we have bigger things like this medical center, providing medical needs, educational needs. Um, we have the big picture perspective. Um, and when, when Israel Fund leadership comes on a trip to Israel, we try to go ahead and make sure they meet with the various mayors, make them accessible, they could talk to them, and that co- um, collaboration is extremely valuable. See, you're from the U.S., so it may not surprise you as much as some of the other uh, people that are living in Yesha just how much people outside of Israel want to help and yeah. how they want to get involved. You mentioned Sifrei Torah, and we've seen so many celebrations led by people in the United States and other things as well. They're not just giving Torahs. There are other items that are uh, either necessary that are very important to communities out here. So, But it's no shock to you that there are communities in the U.S. that are ready to galvanize, support, and send it over here. You know, when I, w- I was in the U.S. for almost 40 years, um, I know what it's like, particularly when something is going on here and you want to help out. You don't know how to help out, and now we've got social media but that takes right. you only so far. Right. What can you really do to invest and to help people? Um, and there are much bigger projects. Um, one of the biggest projects that we're working on with the One Israel Fund is something we call Kfar Studentim, which affects um, the movement, uh, the settlement movement in many different ways. Because what it does is it essentially uh, provides housing, dormitories, for college students throughout Israel, not in Yudav Shimon, but at Tel Aviv University, at Bar Ilan, at Hebrew U. Um, and it puts them in dorms in small Yishuvim, small communities throughout Yudav Shomron. And they're placed there. And while they're not at school, they're involved with the community. They may do some you know, fix-it projects. They may work with st- students in Bnei Akiva. They may help out in a farm. Various different projects. They get embedded with the community. Most of these kids are not from. Their first exposure to what the settlement movement is, is here. And, and until now, all they've heard of is the left-wing ideology that we're a problem and they get to know them. And when those two, three, four years are up, not only did they have a nice dormitory experience, um, not only did they bond with the people there, but were 
pushing forward the whole movement, the whole ideology of what it is to be a pioneer, a Jewish Zionist pioneer to the next generation. And that's probably the most important thing. You know, you could have moved to Israel and just gotten a job and enjoyed life and not get involved in leadership here. And, and people would have said you did enough. After all, you moved all the way here. You know what I mean? You're helping build the land. But you've decided to take a real leadership. We have our own Dayeno. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it's fun. Uh, I'll, t- I'll say I find it a lot more enjoyable in the States. I had a very meaningful job. I was a real estate developer. Um, Baruch Hashem, that was great. I worked in politics as well in D.C. I was a lobbyist for a little bit. Um, but here, when you're helping, you see the achdos. You see everybody coming together, and you see the, the maturity. We're not just a bunch of people who are trying to get a, a hilltop here or there. There is maturity. We're, putting, we're acting in a sophisticated way, which I think should make people in the States, not just people who are don- donating, but people who are hopeful that we're going to be successful, feel confident. And to be part of that is the biggest bracha I could possibly ask for. Well, you mentioned one Israel fund. People can go ahead and uh, find out more information at 516-239-9202, one Israel fund. Org, and as you can attest, uh, there are plenty of projects for people to get involved with. Absolutely. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. Ellie Piepsch, representative of the Eshach Council. Always great having him on and uh, visiting us here at the Efrat Medical Center, a project of the One Israel Fund. And we uh, thank him very, very much. You're listening to JM&AM. It's day two of our amazing journey to Israel. Tomorrow I'm told that Randy is scheduled to be in studio I'll be back Friday, and on Friday morning, Malcolm Honline, who right now is in Israel, but will be back uh, by Friday morning uh, with a direct report from his conversation with the Prime Minister. He'll join us for the weekly update this Friday, the return of the weekly update. We have not been on for a couple of weeks between my mother's uh, illness and then subsequent passing, so this will be an opportunity to reconvene with Malcolm and discuss some of the events of the week and of the last few weeks during our weekly update on Friday at 7.40 Eastern Time right here at JM and the AM. You can tune in on the NSN app from anywhere around the world and hear uh, what he has to say. Big thank you to a PC guy who's going to join us next week in studio. He'll, we'll have an opportunity finally to sit down and discuss some of the uh, details that PC guy can uh, go ahead and to take care of for you, uh, no matter where you are around the world. And he's, of course, our on-the-spot engineer here. Big thank you to ZK, who helped coordinate things, of course, as our chief engineer. And a thank you to Stan in our studio. I'm also giving a special shout-out to Jamie Turkel, who's done an amazing job with social media and so many other aspects of our programming, including setting up a great schedule in advance, which has proven to be phenomenal, and I thank her for that. And, of course, to Miriam L. Wallach on the spot, producing our uh, program today. And thanks to OnlySimplas.com, who continue to get tremendous uh, information and, uh, and news items off of what we do, including this trip to Israel and presenting it to their millions of of uh, web followers from around the world. Thank you, OnlySimplas.com. They have done so much more with their big expansion than just report on Smachot, and it's an honor to be part of their regular news feed. Yesterday we had the opportunity to meet Ariel Shemin. Ariel Shemin lives with his family in Beit Yonatan in uh, the Yemenite village. I mentioned that we had a tour yesterday courtesy of Ateret Kohanim, and we've been uh, hosted by both the One Israel Fund and Ateret Kohanim today uh, during this JMNM Wednesday broadcast. And Ariel, it turns out, up until six years ago, lived in Dobbs Ferry in Westchester, New York. Ariel Shemen, welcome to JM in the AM. Shalom, shalom, how are you doing? Baruch Hashem, what a pleasure to speak with you. It was incredible visiting with you and your family yesterday in a very hot area of the Yemenite village in Yerushalayim. I'm sure most people are curious, and you told me yesterday, why not tell everybody, what is a what is a nice Jewish boy from Dobbs Ferry doing in the Yemenite village? How did this entire journey transpire? Uh, how did it transpire? Uh, first of all, I think it's a dream of Amisha in general. 
uh, I know if everyone will come to Tzara Teimanin, but uh, build your shrine to build Eretz Yisrael. Uh, I think it's something that we all look for in one way or another. Uh, but uh, myself personally, I come from a Yemenite family, and I grew up with the stories about coming to Yerushalayim, and there's a familial connection to Tzara Teimanin. Uh, when I was in the army, I, out of curiosity, came to Kfar Temani to see what it was, and on top of that, that almost no Temani was in Kfar Temani, I was shocked to see that really amazing, normal, uh, sweet, warm people, as I'm sure you saw yesterday, are people that lived in a lot of part of them. So, uh, thank God I married in Eshachayel, uh, crazy enough to follow me there, and thank God I was uh, to live there now. Well, there's no question that, uh, uh, there's no question that yesterday what, what really impressed us or made or made a lasting impression on us was the difficulties and you may not look at it this way but after all you're a kid from westchester so you do understand and remember you know when life was really convenient and easy and of course living in the emonite village Manim, is not exactly the easiest logistically uh nonetheless i i, I assume you uh, feel it's worth the effort and worth for the future of the jewish people in the city of jerusalem to go through this with your family uh, of course, uh, but uh, when you know you're doing something significant, then uh, you don't notice the difficulties. Yeah, I guess that's uh, true. I guess that's true. Also, the population of the Jewish population of the Emmonite village has actually increased over the last year or two pretty significantly. People may think that you know we're talking about just a couple of families, but it's amazing how and, and hopefully we'll have news in the very near future that's going to grow even more. Uh, so it might just be a handful of families, but when you add a few to that, we're talking about pretty uh, amazing growth. Thank God. I mean, uh, Ir David, which I probably passed through yesterday, is uh, very much the same way 20 years ago. And thank God, Ir David is mostly Jewish today. So uh, we're hoping that will be the same picture. Mm-hmm. Maybe last time that. Ariel Shemin from the United States, now living in the Yemenite village and uh, with his family under sometimes difficult circumstances. Uh, what's it like uh, in terms of the neighborhood itself, being surrounded by people who are not very happy that you're there? Are you still able to to walk with your head high? Are you able to uh, to to carry the message that the Jewish people belong where you are? Uh, very much so. I think uh, specifically walking through back and forth from uh, Yeshiva, uh, being able to, to have my head high and being able to attack normally, I think that's Safka what I came for, and I'm very I'm honored to be able to do that. I'm very simple act of living. And as you know, a lot of people, some of whom are in this audience, have gone ahead and made real commitments to see places like the old Jewish quarter, now known as the Muslim quarter by the world, uh, Ir David, as you mentioned, to, to, to support them and to see them grow. And as you know, there are a lot of people out there, very generous people, that are doing the same now in the Yemenite village. I guess you would say to them their investment is certainly worthwhile. No question about it. No question about it. Ariel, Ariel, continued success for you and your family. We uh, we can't get over the commitment you've made, and like we say, when a kid from Westchester decides to pursue a dream like this and does it so effectively, it is really remarkable to watch. So kol kavod and a continued wonderful future in the eastern part of the holy city of Jerusalem. Thank you very much. Thank you, thank you. Ariel Shemin, I want to recommend that everybody visit him. Go and see uh, in the Yemenite village what he and his family are enduring on a daily basis to make sure there's a Jewish presence and that there's a real Jewish future there. Uh, the work of Atarat Kohanim guarantees that he and his family and their colleagues, their neighbors, uh, can continue doing this amazing work. And uh, we heard earlier from uh, Daniel Luria, we heard from Shani Heikind, uh, both of whom have been so instrumental. We're going to hear from Mati Don coming up. 
uh, who have been so instrumental in, in watching uh, Atarat Kanim grow and not just uh, concentrate on what's happening in the Muslim quarter, in the old Jewish quarter, but also on what's happening in uh, in um, areas uh, next to Silwan and now the Yemenite village. You can call them at area code 212-216-9270, 212-216-9270, or go to JerusalemChai.org. Again, that's JerusalemChai.org. More coming up. Special guests will help us wrap up a very special Wednesday from Efrat at JM in the AM. Been a lot of places. I've been all around the world, seen a lot of faces, never known where I was on the horizon. Ooh, well I know, I know, I know, I know, so I'll be rising back home. No, we won't forget where we came from, the city won't change us, we beat to the same drum. No, we won't forget where we came from The city won't change us We beat to the same drop Don't forget where you belong
home from the Maccabees. We made that one of the themes of this trip as well, one of the musical themes, I'm proud to say. Great song and uh, yet another great message as we travel in the Holy Land on this amazing journey. Yesterday with Nefesh Nefesh and today with our friends at the one Israel Fund and a Tarot Koinim, a real day of Jewish unity as they have come together to host us here at the Efrat Medical Center, a project of the One Israel Fund. Rabbi David Marcus, another name that we have to thank uh, for uh, hosting us here at the Efrat Medical Center. He is Senior Development Officer of the One Israel Fund. He is, at the same time, Executive Director of the Efrat Medical Center we've been speaking about all morning. He's traveling right now, but we have him with us live via telephone. Rabbi David Marcus, welcome back to JM in the AM. Yes, it is a little unusual <laughs> that we show up here and you're not here, but hey, this is the way it worked out. Rabbi Marcus has a drop of a delay on his phone. Obviously, he's quite a distance away, but we're going to make this work so we can speak to him about these amazing projects. Number one, uh, since we're here, we're literally on the spot. Um, we've had an opportunity to talk about it. Just tell this audience how meaningful the Afrat Medical Center has been to this region of Israel. Well, the, the medical center tells treats essentially everybody from the southern hills of Hebron all the way to the southern hills of Yushalayim. So we cover about a population of 60,000-plus Jews and uh when the people, uh, the residents of the town that have cars and have the vehicles on the cars come to us as well. Uh, but as we grow and flourish and we keep on adding on special services, we're finding more and more that people come throughout Israel because we have unique medical services that are simply unavailable anywhere else. So thank God we're blessed with uh, living in a town with an unbelievable amount of medical specialists. Um, and we can really give top quality medical cutting edge technology and uh, people respond. So we really do get people. I, I had a patient from Virginia not too long ago that came in. So. And this, uh, this helps us drift into your role as senior development officer at the One Israel Fund, because this facility in Efrat is a project of the One Israel Fund. And it's so often, and Rabbi David Marcus, you know this, it's so often that people, especially I've noticed with my audience, and I'm uh, guilty of this as well, at times of crisis, real crisis, that hits the media and stays in the papers every day, then the One Israel Fund has no problem getting out there and explaining to people why special projects are necessary and why special equipment very often is necessary. But at times like this, when it, those types of things may not be in the headlines, sometimes people don't realize how many projects and developments are going on right now with the One Israel Fund in so many different areas of Yehuda and Shomron. This is one great example. What can you tell people about what happens on a regular basis during a normal day when the One Israel Fund is on the front lines for people in Yesha? Well, I think the most important message to everyone to understand is that Life is every event. Life in the Dallas is not about um, emergency situations. It's not about uh, rocks being thrown, a cocktail bottles being thrown, people being attacked. It's about life. And we've been blessed and living at a time that is unbelievable, in which in the last 20 years, 400,000 Jews settled throughout the Dallas living in over 150 communities that are all vibrant and flourishing and growing. And one of your fund is there everywhere that you turn in every single community to support projects. It could be from the simplest thing that's building a park for children, 
um, just to be able to have parts to play in, or from uh, academic programs in the university in Ariel to uh, the amazing projects and student doses that are sprouting throughout the Dollar from Rome. And then, of course, medical needs, and, and uh, from everything from mutual to school, uh, every aspect of work of life, no matter what people's philosophic, philanthropic interest may be, they could find projects through Energy Fund because the organization is there to tap into all the needs throughout you, Dr. Yeah. No question about it, and they do it really, really well. And by the way, a lot, you know, we're speaking to our listeners now, obviously, and we brought this cause to the forefront so many times on this show. So many of the things you just described were initiated by regular people, initiated by people who listen to our voices, initiated by people who visit and take tours with you. They thought of these ideas of how they could help in Yehuda and Shomron. 14 minutes before the hour. It's a JM in the AM Wednesday, a trip that began with a Nefesh Benefesh journey, another historic one. They only know how to do historic journeys at, uh, at Nefesh Benefesh. A trip that was uh, sponsored by Ben and Batya Klein of New Jersey and who made sure to uh, sponsor the, the flight that left uh, the United States on Monday and landed here Tuesday morning. Uh, a big thank you. There's always people to thank, as we always say. And in addition to Nevesh Benefesh, a big thank you to the One Israel Fund and our friends at Ateret Koanim for giving us the opportunity to be here today at the Efrat Medical Center in Efrat, Israel. A big thank you to the Inbal Hotel and specifically Alex Herman and company who have again made our headquarters in Jerusalem as comfortable as possible. A big thank you to Traveler's Choice, Yossi and Devora. Uh, they again helped us with some last-minute details with the trip, and it's much appreciated. Uh, I want to thank Stan, who's in our studio, and, of course, ZK, and PC Guy, who's here, uh, doing our engineering on the spot. Always a, uh, that's Paul Serkin, of course, always um, uh, here with us during our programs. 
I want to thank the uh, social media expert for the Nachum Siegel Network, Jamie Turkel, for all our hard work. And sometimes it's not easy setting up a show, especially when dealing with organizations that are thousands of miles away. And somehow when we woke up here this morning in Jerusalem, uh, everything was set and ready for us to embark on a great radio program here today. So a big thank you to Jamie Turkel. She was responsible for that. And, of course, Miriam L. Wallach, who's producing our show on the spot, a big thank you to her as well um, for making sure that this all got put together and that all of our guests were lined up. Uh, we have one more guest to go who we're going to get to, and that's, of course, uh, Mati Dan, the chairman, the founder of Atarat Kohanim. He's going to join us with some final words. Uh, uh, he could speak about the history of the incredible organization and what has happened uh, throughout history, throughout um, uh, the last many, many years to increase the population of the Muslim quarter, the old Jewish quarter, from just one person and then one family all the way until where we are today. Uh, thousands, a thousand residents in the uh, old Jewish quarter and now people living in areas like Ir David and the Yemenite village, which if you have never seen it, you've got to put it on your travel itinerary. Make sure to get it onto your travel itinerary specifically for the uh, holiday of Sukkot, which is coming up. A lot of people are here in Israel during that time, and it's a unique and wonderful opportunity to see an area of Jerusalem that's going to be responsible for the future of the Jewish people in Jerusalem. And all that will be explained when you go to that tour and you participate with them on a visit to uh, the Yemenite village. We'll be joined by Mati Dan coming up uh, as soon as he makes contact with us right here at JM in the AM. From Yossi Green from his CD entitled Yiddish Nachas here at JM in the AM. We get this opportunity after having visited with our friends at the One Israel Fund and Atarat Kohanim, uh, two great organizations that came together for this amazing uh, organized uh, unity effort here at, uh, in Efrat, uh, to speak with Mati Dan. Mati Diawa Kohen Dan is founder and chairman of Atarat Kohanim. Mati Dan, welcome back to JM in the AM. Shalom Uvracha, what an honor to speak with you. Mati, I think the first time we spoke with you, there may have been just a couple of people living in the old Jewish quarter in the old city, and today, as you know, that situation is very, very different. It's true. Baruch Hashem, we have more family coming, 
Understood. I guess, right? Um, you know, tell us about the beginning. Tell us about one person and then one family and then the yeshiva being founded. You know, now we see in the Yemenite village a few families who are going to end up being the core of the future of a Jewish community in that area. What was it like when you only had a few people who had made a commitment in, in what some people do call the old Jewish quarter to make that a Jewish area? Yeah, I know, but you know that we're living in an era where people are very impatient. You know that, Mati. What do you mean? We're living in an era, we're living in a time where people are very impatient. Ein lahem savlanut. Strong army cannot 
by a building from Arabs in the old city. Cannot. The JNF cannot. It's a something that only private Jewish people can do. Very... This is my, my ask, my request, to wake up. To wake up and to do. Once I met one Arab, it's a famous story, and he was working with the JNF, and he offered to the JNF, please, I have building in the old city, Arabs want to sell. And the JNF refused, they say, we want only land, not building. <clears throat> and the Arabs asked me, always you are the Jewish ask, Leshana Abba Birushalayim, is not the old city included in Jerusalem? And thank God, Hashem, we, we see that Hashem wait to the Jewish and more to the Jews that have the money. He wait to everybody. But if you have not money, continue to, to pray. But if you have money, pay. Pay, showing. Pay. Mati, as usual, a very, very direct and important message, and it's much appreciated. Kolakavod for everything. I hope but that. I want to. I want. Uh, I will, I, now I will ask you a question, please. How you can bring people on the on the shidur on the program on the pro, on the program on yeah. the program? Put people that say yes. I want to buy a building. <laughs> okay. put I people and, and I will. I promise you, I will put Arabs people that ready to sell. I will put Arabs in your radio uh, program that will say. Yes, I want to sell. Well, that would be an, that would be an interesting real estate program to get sellers and buyers together for the no, old. City. This is not real. This is real estate. The Amos. Real real estate. Kolakavod, Mati Todaravan. Thank you so much for joining us. There he is, Mati Don. He is the uh, founder and co-chair of Aterikonim. What a way to wrap up! He always has a special message. And uh, again, Aterikonim, it's very simple. Get in touch with them, any of the projects that he just discussed and all the activities that he recommended, JerusalemChai.org or 212-216-9270. Thank you to Atarat Konim. Thank you to the One Israel Fund. It has been an amazing journey and an incredible Wednesday, JM in the AM. Our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners, sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 in the FM dial, broadcasting live from Efrat, Israel. Around the world on the web, jmnam.org, welcoming those tuned in on the NSN app. And that wraps up an amazing Wednesday from Efrat. Randy's in tomorrow. We head back to the U.S. Friday, it's Malcolm Honline joining me for the weekly update. I thank everybody who has sent messages of condolences to my family on the passing of my mother. I haven't had enough of an opportunity outside of Monday to thank everybody for those messages and for being in touch. It's much appreciated by all of us. We're going to travel back uh, tonight, and we're going to uh, head back into the studio Friday morning. I certainly hope you'll join us. Thank you for making these programs with Nefesh Benefesh, with the One Israel Fund, and Atarat Konim, extra special for us by uh, being uh, listeners to this radio show and being inspired by our amazing opportunities of doing these incredible journeys. Um, from Efrat, Israel, it's Nahum Siegel reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.